Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White, Bert Deister with you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, We've got an exciting show. I'm excited. You've told me a word I've never heard before. I don't even know what this beer is. It is one of the more obscure beer styles. So going with the trend of the past couple shows, we're kind of getting to a lot of the styles on the BJCP category that people may have never heard of. And obviously it kind of struck gold with you here because yeah. you've never heard of this. No. We're going to get to Sati, yep. not Saki. No, Sati. And not Sato, which is a restaurant I know. Uh, Sati, a Finnish beer. All right, let's we'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, let's catch everybody up. Last week was Kentucky Common. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot on the Kentucky Common last week. The Art of Beer Festival. Uh, these things sneak up on everywhere. They, they approach quickly. We we every Saturday tell you, hey, here's this thing coming up. Here's this thing coming up. Uh, the twelfth annual Art of Beer, March 9th at uh, the the NAC, right? The Niagara, yep, Niagara. Arts and Cultural Center. Yep. Okay, and was, so you're looking at about three to four weeks away. We're already getting people calling saying, do you think it's going to sell out? We don't know. Get yeah. your tickets now. It's I didn't even know that it, could, it can sell out. Though. It can sell. There is a limited number of tickets. Okay. We do we do limit the tickets, um, which is we probably don't want better. it shoulder to shoulder. Right, there, right. Yeah. Beer festivals that oversell take away from the experience of the beer festival yeah. and stuff like that. It's hard to move, hard to keep a beer you yeah. know, in your hands. So this is a beer tasting event with 20-plus vendors and food items as well. Over 75 menu items. Tickets are $35 pre-sale. Uh, and then it's at the uh, the NAC website. Yep. And you can pick them up at our store, too. I know there are a couple other locations listed at the NAC website that are selling them as well. Okay. So you can just walk right in and say, I want to buy tickets to the Art of yep. Beer? $35 in and out. Gotcha. Cash or credit. Okay. So that's March 9th. So plan accordingly. It's a great event. You know, you're going to get your money's worth with not just beers, but also food. Uh, then the AWOG homebrew competition, the Amber Waves of Grain. Deadline is March 31st. Competition, April 13th and 14th. So uh, we're looking at about 43 days out from the deadline. Yeah. And so there's still a lot of styles that you can brew. Um, I'm still like got a checklist of a couple of beers I would like to get brewed before we get there. But it's a great way. Competitions, and especially the bigger competitions, are a great way to get great feedback on your beer. So if you have a beer that's really good, is it possible that you could medal? Absolutely. Is it a guarantee that you're going to get wonderful feedback about not only how well you hit style, but how you know your brewing is going in general? Absolutely. So if you're entering competitions, you're going to get good feedback, and you can take that feedback and turn it into a better beer for the next time around. All right. Very good. And hop rhizomes. You wanted to mention those? because, yes, because they're up. There's some up on the website. And so we have the common varieties that we know we're going to get up there. We'll have another load coming up in the next week or two. Um, that doesn't mean we have them in store yet, but we have them available for pre-order. Um, I always suggest to get hop rhizomes in the ground as fast as possible. If you give them an early start, um, they're going to grow great the first year. And you may even get some hop flowers to harvest at the end of the summer to put into a beer. Um, but certainly years two, year three, you're going to start to get a harvest that you don't know what to do with. Um, a lot of people grow hops for harvest, but a lot of people actually just grow them as a nice ornamental. They're a very convenient perennial. Um, they're a vine that grows up. They need to be trellis. They won't uh, dig into your foundation. They're not a rooting vine like English ivy or something like that. And the above ground portion dies back every year. You can cut it away and then 
next summer. You get wonderful, big, almost grape-like flowers growing onto a vine that produces this kind of clusters of green, like uh, kind of pine cone-like flowers. Um, and so I, you know, moved this um, this year, and I brought my hops with me, and was able to get them planted early in the spring. And immediately when we got to the end of the summer and they started flowering, a lot of the other neighbors who also garden began to start asking, like, what are those? You know, Mm -hmm. I want to get my hands on those. Is there any way you can break me off them? And you can. You can split up the rhizome and spread them out year after year. So hops, cheap investment if you're a home brewer and easy perennial if you're just looking for some, you know, cover if you're a gardener. How much for a trellis? How much does the rhizome grow? What itself you like when you say you're, you can split it up how many times can you split it and does the rhizome basically uh, indefinitely okay so a lot of the rhizomes that we are growing are genetically the same they haven't been you know repollinated and seeded it's the same rhizome that is the same genetic organism that's being grown so if you grow like cascade it's the original um, it's cascade. The, it's the original cascade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and if it had been allowed to stay all together in one piece, it would have taken over the world, is what you're saying. Basically. Like a yeah. giant, giant super hop. I think it is taking over the yeah, world. Right, if you right. haven't noticed, if yeah. you drive along 31 anytime recently, all of a sudden, if, if you see the, the farms, now the farms obviously are not growing for ornamental purposes, so they are really trying to get the maximum sunlight, but you'll see these large poles with cables running in between them at about 20 to 25 feet off the air, then twine coming down to the rhizomes on the ground. And so what it looks like is these very tall, narrow, like Christmas tree shapes of growing um, you know, hop vines. And it, it looks kind of pretty. You see a lot of them, you know, getting popping up in like Niagara County and Southern uh, Erie and Wyoming counties as well. So a lot of hop farms popping up. They are slowly taking over the world and invite them to take over your backyard if you yeah. want to as well. All right. All right. So that's the housekeeping stuff. Let's get on to the, the meat of the show. I guess it's appropriate for the Olympics that uh, we're going for an international style beer. Sati, a traditional Finnish style. Yes. Um, so and we kind of looked at like what's you know there are some popular Korean beers maybe we can get to that next week okay um, and you know obviously in Korea soju if you've ever had soju very good kind of fermented never had that like almost like a somewhere between a malt liquor and a wine mm-hmm. um, very nice uh, good for mixing but we're going to talk about sati today because that's actually a BJCP category um, and it's a very interesting beer it's a traditional Finnish beer and it may be the oldest style that still remains fairly true to its original form. Um, Bottles of this kind of juniper-flavored beer have been found in Viking ships dating back to the 9th century. So we're talking about like 800 AD. We're finding, you know, bottles of beer that are pretty much the same as what people are still brewing today at home. Um, And the interesting thing is this has been continuously brewed, not by commercial breweries. So we, you know, we talk about uh, you know, Belgian breweries or English breweries that are 500, you know, you're even more years old. Um, in this tradition, it's actually not commercial brewers that are keep pushing this tradition, but actually home brewers. And Finland has a big home brewing uh, tradition, and it's partially determined by its population density and its geography. Finland is very sparsely populated; it's very hard to travel. Um, you have you know a long coast that is you know seasonably seasonably uh, unaccessible. So what happens is it creates a big problem is with beer distributions we awfully talk. Not only is it hard to distribute the beer, so it's going to limit what you're going to have. You're going to have, you know, as we talked about in previous shows, it's like Russian Imperial Stout, Baltic Porter, you know, barley wine. Um, you end up with big, dark, 
you know, high acid, robust beers that are meant really not for the consumption at the other end, but to make it to the other end. Um, so what kind of happened in Finland is most of these small villages that could not support a, you know, tavern, let alone a brewery, were left with two real options, you know, no beer or brew your own beer. And so obviously they chose the latter option and a kind of homebrewing tradition is born. Uh, and so homebrewing is very uh, popular still in Finland, mm -hmm. um, but has, like I said, a rich heritage. It's something that kind of was just done in the kitchen. Um, if you know, you're English and you're obviously, you're, you roast your own chickens at home. You don't go pick up a rotisserie. You know what I mean? In Finland, you make your own beer. Um, and so this tradition is very deep-rooted, and the, the beverage itself is very deep-rooted in the culture. Mm -hmm. um, so sati was traditionally brewed for special occasions. We're talking about, like, weddings or harvest times when you had a lot of people to drink it, partially because it was mostly kind of historic beers that wouldn't last that long. This is, like, before refrigeration, really, yeah. right? I mean, well, I mean, you, Finland has some right, added you, advantages. Right, there, you keep but, it outside if you wanted to, but... At that point, it wasn't exactly like everyone knew the cold is going to keep a beer longer or anything like that. Yeah, so, I mean, well, they, they had an idea, but I mean, still, it was they were using often the same yeast culture to make their bread. And when we say yeast culture, there, there was probably also some Britannomyces. There was probably also some, uh, you know, Pediococcus, some Lactobacillus, as well as you know, hopefully some Saccharomyces cerevisiae in there. Uh, and they would reculture this over and over again. But in doing that, they weren't like slanting it. You know, that really goes down to like Lewis Pasteur, where they're they're taking and they're killing off, you know, cells that are not what they want, and you know, extracting small amount of very pure cells to reculture. That kind of stuff was just not going on in, you know, any form in primitive brewing. So until the microscope and until, like, you know, syringes, there really wasn't any option for, you know, purifying a culture worldwide. Um, so the culture is going to carry other organisms. Um, and sometimes it's beer and often it wasn't boiled. So not only do you have the many cultures that you're adding into it, but you have any of the cultures that were sitting on the grain, on the juniper berries, um, you have a lot of different microorganisms in there. So this beer would not be brewed to last long. And the recipe would vary from town to town, but also season to season. Um, it could be like a pale yellow to a deep brown. Most were made with barley, but you would also see oats, but especially rye kind of added in as for a little bit of flavor. And there was, you know, different spices used, sometimes maybe some hops, but, you know, that would be rare. But the dominant flavor of these beers, and I've had a couple, uh, there's a couple home brewers that are uh, very um, passionate about this style and make it seasonally. Um, Mark, shout out to you. I know you listen to the show. Um, I would not have had the style of Mark had and, you know, kind of, you know, done the, the research, started bringing beers into the store. Um, it it would, would barely be on my radar. Um, but the interesting about this is they're not just using the juniper berry because the juniper berry is going to give you very gin-like flavors and, and very tart. Um, they will actually use large portions of twigs added with the berries to give it some more flavor. And what you would end up giving it is a very piney or spruce-like flavor that would kind of balance in with the gin-like flavors to really kind of create this, you know, overall, you know, wonderful beer. Um, and so it's something interesting to try, just like the spruce beer, just like the maple we might be sending you to some, you know, public park or neighbor's, uh, you know, bushes to help them trim this spring or fall to try to collect some juniper twigs for the recipe. Juniper berries you can get year-round. 
I don't know where you can get juniper twigs year round. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very interesting style of beer. And the fact that they're using not just the fruit there, but also physically the wood of the plant to give it some flavor, I think is very interesting. And it's actually the flavor from the wood that usually is the kind of flavor that keeps you coming back um, to the style. If I could describe it um, to try to somebody who you know hasn't had anything close, it, it's like a pale ale where you have like gin is a bittering hops and the spruce twigs is almost like your finishing hops. So okay. the juniper berries actually provide the bitter and then the um, the twigs give it the uh, you know the, the pine and spruce and the aroma, uh, those kind of you know wonderful like kind of bursting flavors that initially hit you. Um, so very interesting style. It's gonna so- it sounds like I'm drinking the forest. Yes, in a good way. <laughs> right, right. In I mean, what you describe, I I would like yeah. to try one. A little bit of the bushes. A l- yeah, little pine bit of flavors. The I mean, I don't microorganism. know. Microorganism. I think a lot of people that like IPAs that are piney yes. would immediately look at this and say, like, all right, I'm interested in a different kind of piney, you know? Yeah. And we, we see, like, these kind of, you know, rich berries used to describe hops. You think of, like, Bramling Cross, I think, is usually described as, like, black currant. See, some other hops have juniper, black currant in their description. So these are, these are not flavors that are, you know, way out in left field. It, it is kind of still very beer-like when you drink it. With some of these, you know, experimental or historical beers, when you go to drink it, it doesn't say, ah, that's beer. You know, you kind of have a moment of what was that first. This one hits the palate, tastes like beer. Beer, okay. All right, well, let's take a break and come back and talk about how to brew one. Brewing your own sake. This is going uh, off-menu a little bit, not your traditional beer style. Jeremy White and Bert Deister here. Actually, very traditional. It's very old, but not all that common. Uh, Niagara Traditions Just Brew It continues next here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It, we're brewing a sati today, an old uh, traditional Finnish beer that uh, tastes like the forest, but in a good way. Berries, twigs, pine, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So brewing your own sati, if you wanted to do it, um, has anybody ever walked into Niagara Tradition and said, hey, I want to brew a sati? Besides Mark, I think so. Yeah? Yeah, I know. A few, a few people have. Um, often you'll see maybe you have some Finnish heritage. You know, uh, Maybe you have tons of juniper bushes in the backyard. Maybe somebody, you heard about it. Somebody gave you a bottle. But people do make this beer. Um, and I think partially because if you're a home brewer, and again, you know, Finland, big home brewing, tr- you know, tradition, Google Translate is out there. You can easily get recipes. Um, so you can go online. You can get a lot of people's kind of home brewed recipes for sati if you want to. And, and the first thing when I, because I was looking at like, oh, let me put together a recipe for myself. Uh, maybe if I get a chance to, you know, get a little harvest on the, the juniper bushes. I do know a few people that grow them. Um, 
I'm kind of faced with a dilemma here, and I think brewers are kind of often faced with this dilemma when making a beer of historical nature. So you can either make a beer that's true to the original style in every way that you can possibly mimic, or you can make something that is really kind of an ode to the original style. Um, and there's kind of pros and cons with both. So if you make the traditional beer, uh, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, it may be hard in this case to find a crowd to dispense any substantial quantity of this beer. So if you're thinking, oh, I'll brew a five-gallon batch, I'll throw a party, you know what I mean, I'll invite 10 people, that's pretty bold to invite every or think every house guest is going to drink, you know, four to five of these beers or something like that. Um, so unless you know you have a crowd, which is kind of down for drinking like this weird, you know, juniper beer all night, uh, you may want to make a smaller batch. So you're doing the putting in a lot of work for a few bottles that maybe you can share at a dinner party with friends um, because you're going to be doing it with either, you know, unboiled grains to kind of help give it that real like chewy uh, and almost bready mouthfeel similar to like a, you know, like a Russian crevasse or a beverage like that. Um, but also you're going to be putting in all these microbes that are going to give you wonderful flavors at first, uh, a little bit of funk and then move towards horrible flavors and a lot of bit of funk later on. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to get rid of it quickly, even if you ref- refrigerate it. That said, when you're done, you're going to be drinking something that you can say, oh, you know, Viking, you know, almost a thousand years ago was, you know, or more than a thousand years ago, um, would be drinking this beer, you know, sailing across the Baltic Sea uh, when a ship went down and then we would find the bottle 1,200 years later. But there's that definite cool ring to it. But at the same time, you're left with this, you know, batch of beer that you can't sell her and bust out a bottle, you know, every week or two when somebody comes over who's also a fan of, you know, exotic beers. And you can say, hey, I made this like traditional Finnish beer. So there's always this dilemma to what you're going to brew in the long run. Are you going to make something that kind of stays true to, you know, modern beer where you're going to fully convert the malts, you're going to, uh, you know, traditionally sparge, bring it to a boil to pasteurize it and coagulate any proteins, add your own bacteria and yeast and kind of controlled amounts. Maybe I think this is a great beer to consider sour, you know, in the kettle or in the the mash. Um, So you get a little bit of that funk, but you can still bottle it later. Um, or are you going to, you know, make the traditional style? Again, with if you make something that's kind of an ode to the traditional style with modern techniques, it's something you could put on keg. I probably wouldn't put it on keg. Or put it in the basement and, you know, condition it for a year or two and serve it when you have folks that might be, you know, interested in it. You know, either way you go, there's a couple of kind of basics for the recipe that we can stick with. Um, usually... The um, base malt is going to be an under-modified, you know, uh, light base. So I'm going to look at, like, the uh, crisp, like uh, the Glen Eagles Maris Otter. That's their floor-melted Maris Otter. Uh, so traditionally made, not all the malt, you know, malts the same level. So some is fully converted, some is not. Uh, Wireman also makes a Bohemian floor-melted Pilsner and a floor-melted dark malt that I think would be great for this beer. You're just going standard, like, European style? European, low modification, um, and one thing that the low modification gives you, besides the bad efficiencies, which is what everybody worries about, is that those carbohydrates go somewhere, and they go into starches that remain in the beer, and they give it kind of a chewy, bready, biscuity, uh, you know, mouthfeel as well as flavor, um, and it will really kind of give you a bit of that, you know, unboiled uh, mash feel. So traditionally, if this beer was, you know, just sparged, not boiled. Um, that's going to be 
okay. Now, once you start looking at the style guidelines and kind of what like there are out there for homebrew recipes, dark crystals, dark toasted malts are all kind of okay. A lot of recipes use a lot of rye uh, in there because that would have been readily available in the Finnish countryside. Um, but no roasted malts. Um, so if this is something you plan to enter, um, I can find tell you that you know I guarantee you there's Finnish homebrewers making it out there with ro- roasted malts. Um, but to the BJCP category guidelines, it doesn't want any roasted flavors. So stay away from any carafas, chocolates, you know, black malts, anything like that. But dark crystals, this beer can any be, be anywhere from a pale yellow to a deep brown. So it can have a lot of crystal malt in it, a lot of toasted malt. Just stay away from anything that's truly roasted, anything over that kind of 200 Lovabond mark. Okay. Um, hops. Traditionally, you wouldn't use any. If I was making this, I would probably make the kind of contemporary version, and I would put in some bittering hops just to help it, you know, protect the beer. So I would put in a very small amount. I'd probably only be getting about, you know, 15 to 20 IBUs for my bittering hops, but I would put in a small amount just to help kind of preserve the beer. I would do at least a 30-minute boil on it as well. Um Obviously, you're going to have to find some juniper. This is where, like, we always send you on the kind of hard, you know, yeah. pass for one of these historical beers. And maybe why you don't see them brewed that option is you can't come into Niagara tradition and say, pick out, oh, you know, four ounces of, you know, juniper twigs. Right. We you got a better chance of, like, fishing it out of a potpourri bag or something yeah, like exactly. that. <laughs> like, yeah. Or Bed um, Bath & Beyond or something. So wh- how do I go about finding it then? Um, well, I mean, I would look for somebody that knows. I mean, uh, juniper bushes are pretty, um, you know, easy to see. They look similar to an elderberry bush. I would talk to somebody who's a gardener um, because if you know anybody who grows any, like, you know, shrubbery, um, you'll often see them with their second favorite hobby of trimming the shrubbery. Um, and it's not going to take much, you know, a little more than a handful of, you know, twigs and berries in your business. Um, sometimes you can go quite a lot on the recipe, uh, especially if you're doing one of the no-boils to help kind of get the flavor out of there. So you're going to need a lot of material. Um, but if you're boiling some in, um, you shouldn't need that much. Um, you're just going to quickly rinse them off. Um, really, if you're doing the no-boil, sorry, there's no you know, sanitizing or pasteurizing here. Uh, if you're going to boil them, I would just give them a quick rinse, any bird poop or anything like that off there. Maybe crush up the berries, crush up the sticks a little bit. Um, so just over top of the kettle, breaking them apart into my hands. Definitely going to want a screen or a bag or something like that. You don't want all this kind of woody matter moving over to the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing you get to interesting is, so we, we've covered the malt base. Um, we've covered whether you can use hops or not and, you know, adding the juniper in there. Uh, and the other thing we got to talk about is the yeast. Because obviously, um, traditionally, they would use their bread yeast. Now, I don't think that means go out and get a pack of Fleshman's uh, necessarily. But you could try. You could try that. Um, and But here's my kind of question doing some reading. Would there bread yeast more like beer yeast or was their beer yeast more like bread yeast you know what i yeah, mean yeah, so yeah. i actually use beer yeast to make my bread at home um and I, I feel like it gives it wonderful kind of you know almost tart flavors and a wonderful nose to it um and so i think i would actually more go for like a farmhouse or you know like 
German wheat style. When you start reading the descriptions and you start reading the esters, believe me, working at Niagara Tradition over the years, we've tasted a lot of fermented beverages made with Fleshman's bread yeast. None of the esters that I've ever picked up off of Fleshman's bread yeast were coming up in the BJCP style guidelines for this beer, partially because all the you know esters that they were listing were pleasurable. Um, you know, with banana and mm-hmm. clove and spice and rye, um, things you get from these Belgian farmhouse yeasts and stuff like that, not something that you necessarily will get from a bread yeast. Uh, while the bread yeast will be interesting to try, I can warn you that it will always make beverages that have a little bit higher in the heads and tails. So, you know, methanol and um, fusel alcohols. So it will have this kind of like warm, no matter what temperature you ferment it, it will have this like warm fermentation effect to it, as well as it doesn't seem that great at breaking down its acetyl aldehydes. You get some apple, you get some other funky flavors in there. Um, this might be a good excuse to try a blend of yeast. You know what I mean? So maybe you do a little bit of both, so you know, add some beer yeast in there. And then if you really wanted, I think, to preserve the tradition, I think the main part would, if you're making sati, reculture the yeast. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they would be doing. They would be reculturing it from bread to beer and back and forth. So that's the main part of the tradition. If you use something you reculture, gives it a nice banana ester. We've got about two minutes left. What about bottling, aging, anything like that to if know? You, if, you go, if you go for the contemporary style, you know, some of the kind of spruce flavors will die back over time, but you're safe to bottle this. It's going to lose its haze over time, but it's something you can set down. They're usually not highest in alcohol. Um, they would sometimes do different versions during the mash. They would do like a, a strong version. Um, if you kind of read into this, it would be like the strong version for the, like the, the, the working folk and then the weaker version for the priests and children know how yeah. <laughs> that necessarily uh, always made sense. But um, normally the, the kind of classic examples you find, the ones that people brew are usually on the lower alcohol end, partially because they're trying to you know, do some balance between a contemporary beer and a traditional beer, uh, but they do usually put other microbes into it uh, or do the no boil. And so they're trying to ferment it fast before it has a chance to go bad. Gotcha. Um, so it really depends on what style you do. Either way, with the juniper, I wouldn't put it into a keg. I would be wor- worried about staining the keg. So either way, this would go into bottles. If I was doing a, like a one to like three gallon batch and I'm trying to serve this at a party, it might be a good excuse to do it in two liter pop bottles or growlers, something that you don't mind getting rid of if it acquires any flavors from the from the sati. All right. Sati. Sati. Uh, what's next? Korean beer, Japanese, Chinese, and we're all over the country, so all over the world, so pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Sati, if you ever want to, you know, if you miss an episode, if you join us late, they're all available on demand at WGR550.com and ESPN1520 as well. We'll come back next Saturday. Talk to you then here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.